I can't wait for dot, dot, dot. Fill in the blank. I can't wait for Christmas. Did that already? Really? We just got through Christmas. I can't wait for God. Your first week at home in a long, it's been three weeks. We, we've been missing you. We're glad to have you back. I can't wait for, Scotty, if you say for Doug to finish the sermon, <laughs> well, I can't do anything, you're my boss. I can't wait for my birthday, spring break, summer, I can't wait for lunch, your birthday, I can't wait for my birthday, actually, I can't wait for my birthday, because now birthdays aren't near as fun as they used to be. It's a fire hazard at my age. That many candles. Okay, there's lots of things that, that we long for, but this morning I want to talk about as we get into this, this last feast, the, the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Huts. We're going to be talking about the idea of this being uh, one of great anticipation. Uh, in fact, last uh, feast that we looked at was the Day of Atonement, which it wasn't so much of a feast, it was... It was a time of fasting, it was a time of reflection. This one, coming just a few days later after that, is one of great celebration. In fact, if you look back in the Old Testament and even on into the New Testament, this is considered the feast. This is the great feast. People talked about it, they were excited about it. It was one of great anticipation and of excitement. Not only... Just the fact that they were all pilgriming to Jerusalem to be there together. Not just the feast uh, and the booths setting those up. But there's also this spiritual anticipation as well. So I have a few slides up there. We're going to see if we can't scroll through a few of them. Uh, And tell me what you think about this first one right here. How about this? Jesus coming soon. Is this... Does anybody have this in the front lawn? Anybody got the neon lights that says Jesus is coming soon? Not yet. You're working on that. Okay, we'll see if we can't get that. Somebody was so excited about the coming of Jesus that they not only put up a sign, but they had it in neon because they wanted people to know that Jesus is coming soon. How about this next one? (laughs) Jesus is coming. (laughs) That's really not what you expect to see on the side of the road uh, on, on one of these construction signs, but somebody said, hey, people need to know about this. And hey, maybe it wouldn't hurt for us to have one of those uh, uh, going down our street so people could, could see that as they're driving up and down. How about this next one? Ready or not, Jesus is coming. It's kind of a play off of the little hide-and-seek game, but there's this sense that, hey, He is coming, so, there may be some preparations that you need to take. Uh, oh, how about this next one? This is a little eerie. How about this? Oh, no, no I, I skipped ahead. I, I skipped one. Okay. Jesus is coming soon. Are you ready? This was, this was the theme of the church that I grew up in was, Jesus is coming. Are you ready? You better get ready. He's coming. It was almost like this Santa Claus, like he's making his list and he's checking it twice. Like he's about to show up. Make sure uh, you're in the right place at the right time. How about this next one? Save the date. The return of Christ. May 21st, 2011. 
People are so excited or they anticipate so much the return of Jesus that not just occasionally, but quite frequently people will say, this is the day in which Jesus will return. Now, I didn't see this sign before 2011. In fact, I didn't see that sign before this week when I was Googling images that would talk about the coming of Jesus. Does anybody get so excited about the coming of Jesus that you, you wonder what date that it might be? What you think you would be doing? For the person who, who paid to have this uh, billboard put up, I wonder what they were doing on May 20th, 2011. I wonder that what they would have thought they should be doing. Uh, here's another example of one. It's a little bit harder to see. Uh, Jesus, uh, very soon, prepare to meet God. What would you do in preparation to meet God? How would you dress? What would you say? What would you do if you knew he was coming? How about this next one? Jesus loves you. He is coming. Repent. And I find this quite odd because here we have a person here who's trying to encourage people, hey, Jesus loves you, but you need to get on the right path. But what I noticed was interesting, you can only see about five people in the picture, and all five people are using their phones to do something else. Someone once said that if Jesus had come in the 21st century, we wouldn't have crucified him, we would have just ignored him. That we don't have this anticipation of Messiah, of the return of Jesus, uh, as was thought when, when Jesus first came. And this last one, we've almost made a punchline of it. Jesus is coming, look busy. Jesus is coming. But for some reason, we've got this idea that it's so far away that we can joke about it and it not be a big deal. Okay, we can, we can skip to the blank slide. This was not the case for the people who would have participated in the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. It's also called the Feast of Engathering because it had to do with the end of the harvest season and and getting prepared for what would take place. Uh, if, uh, If we were to celebrate this feast in 2017, it would take place uh, on October 5th through the 12th. Uh, It was actually um, seven, eight-day feast, uh, depending on when your your day or night started. But it began on the Sabbath day, and that was a day where there would be uh, rest and no work. And so they were instructed, the Jews, to pilgrimage up to Jerusalem, and there they would set up their booths. These little tents, these huts that had this loosely thatched roof on top and it had the either three or four sides that would kind of lean together and hold this thing up and for the next seven days they would stay inside these huts uh, during the nighttime at the daytime they would get out and there were lots and lots of sacrifices that were to take place and so I want you to listen as I read parts from Leviticus chapter 23 as the Lord is giving the command about the Feast of Tabernacles. The Lord said to Moses in verse 34, Say to the Israelites on the fifteenth day of the seventh month of the Lord's Feast of Tabernacles, and let it begin and it last for seven days. The first day is a sacred assembly, do no regular work. It's the Sabbath. 
For seven days present offerings made to the Lord by fire, and on the eighth day hold a sacred assembly and present an offering made to the Lord by the fire. It is a closing assembly, do no regular work. So it's bookended on either side with Sabbaths, and in the middle they would have these sacrifices, they would have this feast, and they would have something we'll talk about later that took place at night. These are the Lord's appointed feasts, which you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies for bringing offerings made to the Lord by fire, the burnt offerings and grain offerings, sacrifices and drink offerings required for each day. These offerings are in addition to those for the Lord's Sabbath, in addition to your gifts and whatever you have vowed, and all the freewill offerings uh, that you give to the Lord. So this is an opportunity for them to come and, and give back to the Lord. In verse 39 it says, So beginning with the 15th day of the seventh month, after you have gathered the crops of the land, celebrate the festival to the Lord for seven days. The first day is a day of rest, and the eighth day is also a day of rest. On the first day, you are to take the choice fruit from trees and palms, uh, leafy branches and poplars, and rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. Celebrate this as a festival to the Lord for seven days each year. This is to be a lasting ordinance for generations to come. Celebrate it in the seventh month. Live in booths for seven days. All native-born Israelites are to live in booths, so your descendants will know that I had the Israelites live in booths when I brought them out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So Moses announced this to the Israelites, the appointed feast of the Lord. So, so God is giving these instructions on what they are supposed to do at this specific feast, the Feast of Tabernacles. And again, the question we want to keep asking is why? Not should we do this or what will it look like if we do it, but why would God ask his people to do this in the first place? One of the things we see at the end is he says, okay, I want you to live in booths. Why? Why did he say live in booths? He says, because that's what your forefathers did when they were in the desert. I had them live in booths. And this is a reminder that God is the one who provides and that he's the one who will take you through places to get you to where you need to be. And sometimes we can get really comfortable living in our house, can't we? We know where things are. In fact, some of us husbands grumble when our wives go in and we change the furniture. Because that's when we find the furniture at night with our shins. As we get up to get something. We like things the way they are. And, and God says, we're going to mix this up. You're going to travel to Jerusalem. And when you get there, you're going to live in these booths that you have carried with you. And you're going to set up. Now, remember, this was to be done on the Sabbath. So the booths had to be set up within the Sabbath day's walk from the temple, which would have been about a little over a half a mile. So all throughout the streets... Thousands and thousands of these booths would have been set up. Just outside the city, you could see the area dotted with all of these booths. But only part of it had to do with the past goodness of God. Another would talk about the future goodness of God. You see... This was the end of the harvest season. And they would have a break for a small period of time. However, because of their 
their weather and their agriculture, their rainy season began in November, just a few weeks after this festival, uh, Feast of Tabernacles. And unlike some places, you know, you go to Seattle and you, it seems like it's always raining all the time. Not so there. In Palestine, they got the majority of the rain in a very small amount of time right after this. And they needed the rain. If they missed just a couple weeks of rain, it could affect their entire year coming up. And so there was this great anticipation. And so the Feast of Tabernacles was not just about living in these huts. It was also about going for these sacrifices. And a big sacrifice that they did was this drink offering that they have. And this turned out to be a really big deal. And there was a scandal involving around this. Because the drink offering, uh, they believed so strongly in this. It was talked about here in the Old Testament But this is something that they made a really big deal of, the priests did. Well, about, they would take these these large, uh, this pitcher that they would go uh, down and get from the pool of Siloam, and they would bring it up there, and they would take it and they would pour it in this little uh, little cistern that had a hole in it, and it would fill up around the altar and and go down into the base. And that that was this drink offering. And you talk about some fights that break out when we talk about color of carpets or what kind of pews we're going to use or if we're going to have PowerPoint. They had a fight break out around 75 B.C. You see, for years and years and years, they had participated in this drink offering. Well, the Maccabees, a group of people, had taken over uh, and they were Levitical in nature, but they really wanted this to be more of a, uh, a, a ruling like a kingship. And so as they looked on the drink offering, they said, you know what, there's more tradition to this than there is spirituality. This is not a big deal. True story. So what they, what they did one year is when it was time to do the drink offering, because they thought this isn't a really big deal, instead of pouring the water onto the altar, instead the priest just poured it on the ground. And some people saw this, and they got really mad. And remember, they had these, they were supposed to bring these offerings, you know, these tree offerings and these leafy things. Literally, some of them ripped the fruit off of these offerings that they're supposed to have, and they started throwing them at the priest. Because they were so infuriated that he had not made the drink offering according to the tradition. And so from that point on, when he would come up there in years to come, he would bring that drink offering, and he would begin to pour it, and they would shout out, raise it higher, because they wanted to make sure that the drink offering made it on to the altar. They felt so strongly, because the drink offering, the water, represented life. There were three ways in which you could get water at that time. The first was a cistern. It was a, a large a jug. I mean, they had some of them that, that were large that would fill up a room. And the rain would come down and it would stay in there. The problem was the water would sit and it was exposed. And so a lot of times it would get nasty and it would get uh, some kind of bacteria in it. And so 
that was what they had the most of, but that's what they liked the least. And of course, it could dry out. The second was wells. It was much better. It was protected more from bacteria, but it too could run out. Where's, what's the third and most important source of water? It was from the brooks. The brooks and the river. It would be the rolling water. It would be the water that moved. And so throughout these feasts, it was a big, big deal to talk about the water that would be poured out. That life-giving water. That's the daytime. At nighttime before bed, they had these light festivals that took place. Now remember again, they didn't have television, they didn't have radio, they didn't have lights. But they had these light shows, so to speak, that just involved the fire. They would amass thousands of people around the temple area. They had these four large menorahs, which are these light stands. Each had four uh, uh, candles on them or, or wicks on them that were actually used from older priest garments. And they would soak them in the oil and they would continue to add the olive oil to keep it burning. And they would have these light festivals and people would come out and they would, they would do things with, with the fire. And one rabbi said that if you didn't see those, the, the light festival at night, then you haven't experienced what joy really is. This was like the 4th of July for them. And you say, oh, that's nice, there's kind of entertainment. The fire was not meant simply to be entertainment. It was to be a reminder of who? Of God. Of God of the Old Testament of God who led His people with a pillar of fire by night. You had the water that represented life. You had the fire that represented God's presence and His guidance leading them. And so throughout the seven days they had this. And after all the the fun and fireworks were over, they went and they got into their huts. And the huts weren't like the tents we have today they, they were put together loosely with thatch on top. Why was that? So that when the Israelites would lay down, they could look up and open their eyes and they could see through that little roof hut that they had created and they can see the stars and they can be thinking of God and His guidance and His glory and His grandeur. This was the festival of tabernacles. The water, the fire, the Lord's promise, and the anticipation of His return. So, let's leave the Old Testament. Let's find ourselves in John chapter 7, verse 37. You know, I'd read this so many times before, but it really didn't mean a whole lot to me. In fact, I think I just skipped over the first sentence of this verse because it didn't seem to be that important. Verse 37 of John chapter 7 says this, On the last and greatest day of the feast. What is John talking about? What feast? Okay, Judy, I saw you mouth the word, so you're going to have to say it out loud. The Feast of Tabernacles. 
This is what John is talking about. He calls it the feast because they called it the feast. It was so important, it was so prominent, that when they said the feast, everybody understood that it was talking about the Feast of Tabernacles. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood up and said in a loud voice, Stop! Freeze for just a second. There are these things that have been taking place all week long. Never in the schedule is there room for somebody to stand up and just start talking. There is no open mic night at the Festival of Tents. And yet all of a sudden, everybody is assembled... Remember what offering had just taken place? The drink offering? And somebody stands up in the middle of the crowd and disrupts everything. And he says this, If anyone is what? Thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. This did not fall on a deaf ear. Everybody had witnessed what had been taking place the last seven days. They understood of raise it higher. We want to see this water as a drink offering to the Lord. They understood that it wasn't stale water. It was living, moving, rolling water. And in the middle of the feast, Jesus stands up without being invited and says, Hey, I want you to know something. If anybody wants living water, come to me. How do you think that went? How do you think that went over? You you continue to read on. It didn't go well at all. They started getting together like, what's he talking about? What's going on? He's calling himself the Messiah because they understood that this this is going back to Isaiah, that that surely he must be saying that he's Messiah. By this he meant the Spirit, by by those who believed in him were later to receive. Up until that time the Spirit had not yet been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. On hearing these words, some of the people said, surely this man is the prophet. Others says, he is the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the one who was to come. Still others says, how can this, how can the Christ come? from Galilee remember they didn't realize where he had come from does not the scripture say that the Christ will come from David's family from the town of Bethlehem the uh, the town where David lived and duh that's where he came from but nobody knew and he stands up he interrupts the entire service and says I am the living water Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. And and the Jewish leaders, they're fighting back and forth. They get in their huddle and they say, what are we going to do? We need to do something to this guy. This ain't right. He's really encroaching. This is our time. This is our feast. He stands up and says, I'm living water. Are we really going to stand for this? The next day. We continue reading on. Jesus stands up. And we read in chapter 8 of verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said what? I am the light of the world. 
Whoever walks in me will never walk in darkness, but he will have the light of life. What has taken place? What have they been doing every night for the last seven nights? They've been watching this light show take place from this fire. And Jesus now says, not only am I living water, but I am God. What a crazy, bold statement that Jesus would make at the Feast of Tabernacles as they had been watching the drink offering as they had seen the light show that would take place at night, Jesus would stand up and say that I'm the living water and I, I am God who delivers. It would continue on in just a few days from now. As Jesus would enter into the town and people would have their palm branches. This was a reminder that the king was coming. And they would put down their branches and they would yell out, Hosanna. Hosanna means save us. Hosanna means deliver us now. They believed in Jesus They anticipated His coming. And they couldn't wait. I can't wait for. I can't wait for Jesus. Hosanna. Lord, save us. We love You. We believe in You. We know You are coming. I don't know what your schedule looks like for the next week. I've, my guess is that if you write it down, it would take several pages. And you probably have several different spots where you're supposed to be in two places at the same time. And we're all overworked and busy, busy people. And we have a lot of things we're looking forward to. Looking forward to lunch. Looking forward to meeting with some people. Looking forward to the meeting being over with some people. We're looking forward to a few hours of rest at night. We're looking forward to breakfast in the morning. We're looking for, we're looking for, we're looking for Jesus. We anticipate His return, and because of that, we're really excited. We think not only of living water and a fire, but we think of a God who saves. In fact, we think of that so much that you almost get giddy where you're sitting, right? Thinking about the return of Jesus and how exciting it would be if it happened just right now. That you can hardly just contain yourself. It's hard to sit down in your seat, right? Because we're so excited about the return of Jesus. I don't, I don't know when He's coming. I'm, I'm not going to put it up anywhere uh, on a billboard. But I do believe that Jesus is coming. He's coming to claim His own. And we can celebrate. My prayer is that you will anticipate with great excitement the coming of Jesus. If you have bought into the belief 
that Jesus is going to come down because he's mean and he's angry and he wants to hurt you and punish you and he doesn't love you, you're buying into a broken theology. We do have a God who is holy, but we also have a God who is full of love. And if you cannot associate the coming of Jesus with a God of love, then I want you to rethink who our God is. Because He loves us. And He longs to be with us. And my prayer is that you long to be with Him too. I want to close this out in prayer. And after the prayer, we're going to stand for a song of encouragement. Let's pray. Father God, we are uh, having a lot of mixed feelings. Because as humans, we have all these things that we're thinking of that we want to do or have to do or need to do. But Lord, just the thought of you coming is a little overwhelming uh, and it, it brings a great deal of fear. But Lord, let it also bring an understanding that you're a God who desires to be with us. Lord, may we desire to be closer to you as well. Lord, this week, let, let this be in some ways a, a feast of tabernacles that we allow uh, things that take place in our day to remind us and excite us that you're a God who's coming back for us. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. If there's any way we can help you, please come as we stand and sing.